the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. It is indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us as we get underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Monday, the 13th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I'm trying. I, I'm trying to process this this information, and and I'm trying to do it uh, on on live television. So forgive me. Uh, <laughs> you 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 are the highest ranking African American Republican politician in the country. You, you were asked yes, to sir. give the response to the State of the Union, and I did not hear a single negative word about your response. I mean, that's usually a death sentence for people. You gave a great response to the State of the Union. You gave a nominating speech in 2020. You have introduced opportunity zones, and you have worked on criminal justice reform. Maybe maybe I shouldn't ask you. Maybe I should ask the voters what it says about the Republican Party that someone with that resume is suspending his presidential campaign. Trey Gowdy spoke for a lot of people last night when he responded on live television to a bomb dropped on live television by Senator Tim Scott that he has indeed decided to suspend his campaign. Uh, A lot of people are disappointed by that. I do and do not count myself among them. 
Here's what I mean. Um, I like Tim Scott. I have said for the last couple of cycles that Tim Scott is going to be a major player in presidential, not just senatorial, but presidential politics, I think, for a long time to come because there is so much to like about him, about his story, about his vision, about his uh, character. Um, There's a lot to like about Tim Scott. So it disappoints me in that regard, especially the way Tim, or I mean, uh, Trey Gowdy just laid that out. You did all of these wonderful things. You got all this great reception. And what does it say about the Republican Party that the highest ranking uh, Democrat, or excuse me, highest ranking African American in the Republican Party by being a senator, uh, you know, is is dropping out so soon? And um, that is disappointing to hear. It's a disappointing question, by the way, too, personally. But I'm not disappointed because I understand where this is coming from. This is a recognition of reality. He's in the low, low, low single digits. So even among the people that are trailing Donald Trump by a country mile, he is trailing them by by considerably more. Um, it, since the primary, you know, debating phase started, you know, Ron DeSantis started on top, and he has remained on top. Nikki Haley started a little bit considerably lower, and she has ascended to near the top. Vivek Ramaswamy was kind of in that second or third place range, again, for the non-Trump candidates. He has kind of maintained. Tim Scott started very, very low and never climbed. Chris Christie started very, very low and never climbed either, but he's still there. Um, So I'm disappointed from a personal standpoint, but I because I like Tim Scott, but I am not disappointed in the fact that he realized that at this point in time, um, the Republican Party needs to find its nominee, and they're going to do that by narrowing things down to those who have a chance of winning a general election. That means Donald Trump, of course, who is the number one candidate by, again, a country mile and a half, maybe, maybe two full country miles, if we can play that out. Um, Ron DeSantis, who has been, you know, far and away the number one challenger. Nikki Haley, who has ascended to near that number one challenger during the debate. She said strong performances, memorable lines, you know, uh, kind of uh, exposing her uh, uh, or bringing forth her foreign policy credentials. It's impressed a lot of people. It's also disappointed a lot of people, myself included, because she wants to continue to fund Ukraine until the uh, the end of time, it, it would appear. Um but beyond those two, and, and maybe Vivek Ramaswamy, who, again, is is playing to the Trump base. He's playing to the Trump crowd. Vivek Ramaswamy will criticize every contender in the race except for the one he would have to catch. And that would be Donald Trump. Because he doesn't want to catch Donald Trump, I feel like Vivek Ramaswamy is only in this for the VP nod. And maybe for, or maybe for a top cabinet level position, one that he will be able to flex, maybe foreign policy. Who knows? You know, uh, in terms of Secretary of State, maybe, uh, uh, maybe Secretary of the Treasury, maybe something. You know, he's a he's an economic a wizard. He was a multi. He was a billionaire by the time he was like thirty five, uh, or maybe before he was thirty. I don't know exactly uh, when he got that mark, but it's, it's pretty incredible. So point being, I, I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy is running for actual president. He's running to increase his, uh, his visibility. He's running to expand his brand. He's running to, you know, mobilize, I think a lot of the Republican messaging, which I am very grateful for, but I think it's down to two now. I think it's down to 
Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley as being the only two who can be in the race when Iowa comes around and have a chance to take a bite out of Donald Trump and uh, and, and, and ascend forward. So in other words, technically speaking, I think we're down to three. There's Donald Trump, who is, you know, it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like uh, you know a horse race where he's ahead by like 30, 30 lengths. Uh, it's so far ahead. There's no horse that's going to be able to catch him. But you do understand that there are horses who are going to continue to chase. What if he? And here's why you continue to chase. By the way, what if that horse that's thirty lengths in front of you and on his way to winning the roses steps in a little bit of a divot and breaks a leg? That's a horrible thought because those things do happen and it's terrible. They put down the horses, but this is just a metaphor, so work with me here, okay? If he breaks a leg on the way by, then the horses that, if the horses behind him had just stopped running altogether because they knew they couldn't catch him, well, now nobody wins. Um, they have to keep chasing. You never know what can happen. What if the horse throws his rider? Point is, what if something unfortunate happens to President Trump on his way by to this uh, massive, easy primary victory to win the nomination and, and nobody else is chasing? So that's the reason they're going to continue to chase. But I think there are really only two chasers now, now that Tim Scott has stepped aside. And I'm interested in your response to that. I may even talk to Jim Jordan about that. Jim Jordan, of course, is strongly in the camp of President Trump. Uh, but, uh, again, how this process plays out kind of matters to everybody. Uh, but I'll welcome your thoughts on it as well. That just happens to be our lead story this morning because it just happened last night. Tim Scott, late last night on Trey Gowdy's show, announced he has indeed suspended his campaign. And uh, what does that mean for the whole thing going forward? What does that look like? I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. We'll talk to Jordan at 935 as we do each and every Monday. We're also going to talk about a trip to D.C. that is originating here in Ohio today, technically tonight. They're going to be loading buses, and there's going to be a trip to D.C. to rally for Israel. A protest, a demonstration, a support uh, rally, whatever you want to call it, for Israel. You have seen, I have seen, we all have seen over the course of the last uh, you know, few weeks since October 7th. Tons of rallies and marches for the terrorists, which is just absolutely stunning and infuriating, quite frankly. Um, But that's what's happening. Nobody is doing anything, or not nearly enough as far as I'm concerned, uh, in defense of the only side in this war in the Middle East right now that is the righteous side. Nobody. And so finally, somebody is going to be doing that. A half million people packed the streets of London on Saturday in a pro-Palestine protest. That was among the largest demonstrations ever held in the city. They said literally close to 500,000. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands also marched against the war, maybe not necessarily in words being, quote, pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas, but they were they were chanting and demonstrating for a ceasefire, which benefits the Palestinians and Hamas. They marched in Paris. They marched in Brussels. They marched in Barcelona. They marched in Cape Town. They marched in Dublin. All over the world, continuing to call for a ceasefire, which it equals what? It equals a surrender by Israel. I'll remind you again. 
we had a ceasefire in place, an unspoken one, but it was in place on October 6th. There was peace. To a degree, there were still always the random missiles and rockets being fired from Gaza by terrorists into Israel, picked off by the Iron Dome most of the time. But you still, you know, because they're never going to stop. We know this. Depends on just the severity of the aggressiveness or the level of intensity of the attacks on Israel by the uh, uh, Islamic terror groups of Hamas or Hezbollah or Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It's never really truly peace or ceasefire, but Israel hasn't returned fire. Uh, and October 6th, all of that ended, or rather, technically, we had that ceasefire in place. And this is what happens when there's a ceasefire with terrorists. When there's a ceasefire with terrorists, terrorists regroup and attack again. So now they're now they're saying we need a ceasefire. We need a ceasefire. Why? To allow Hamas to regroup and attack again? No, I think I'll be calling for more fire, not ceasefire. More fire, fire and brimstone. And there's only one organization that can stop that hellfire from continuing to rage, and that is Hamas. Release all of the hostages immediately and surrender your terrorists to IDF forces so they can go into Israel and stand trial for their atrocities. That's it. You want to save Palestinian lives who are collateral damage in this war and understand it is a war in war. Civilians die. They always have. They died in World War II. They died in Iraq. They died in Afghanistan. They died in Vietnam. Civilians die when wars are fought, even when they're being fought by the rules of war. And the idea, the idea that Israel is responsible for those collateral damage, lost lives in Gaza, and not Hamas, which continues to hide among the civilian population, is grotesque to even consider. So while they're chanting and they're rallying and they're demonstrating in Washington and, and again, like I said, and in Paris and in London and all around the world in favor of a ceasefire, which means in favor of the terrorist group Hamas, finally somebody is doing something in, in a show of public support for Israel. Finally, there is going to be a rally tomorrow in Washington, D.C., in support of Israel. It is long overdue, and I hope it is massive. So what they're going to do today here in Ohio and in other places is pack buses full of people willing to go down there and support uh, Israel and to show Washington, D.C., to show America that we do indeed support Israel, that we are not going to be a country that abandons its allies and friends and, quite frankly, the, the most vulnerable nation uh, in the Middle East, if not the world, we're not going. We're not going to abandon them. So, I've got a lot of information. I'm going to be sharing it with you. The buses are going to be leaving at 12:30 a.m., meaning after midnight tonight. It's being sponsored by the Jewish Federation. Um, so they're going to demonstrate from 1 to 4 p.m. tomorrow. The buses will return and be back. Uh, by about 11 p.m. tomorrow night. So, again, you'd have the rest of the day today to get yourself registered and get yourself signed up to get on one of these buses. You'd be leaving a little bit after midnight, sleep on the way down, 
get there and participate in a in a three hour demonstration in, in support of Israel, uh, and then come back late tomorrow night if you would like to be a part of that. We're going to talk to Larry Levine about that coming up in uh, an hour, a little less than an hour, at about ten ten. We'll get more information about that event, and uh, I'll give you all the information I can from uh, the uh, uh, Jewish Federation. So if you would like to go down and support this and show the world that this is not all anti-Israel the way it is at the leadership of the world, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the United Nations General Assembly. I'm talking about the United Nations head. I'm talking about uh, the World Health Organization. I'm talking about everybody that's telling Israel to stop defending itself. Stop defending yourself. Stop with your self-defense exercises. Leave Hamas alone. Maybe they'll promise to never do it again. Of course, we know that won't happen because they have literally done just the opposite. They have promised that they will do it again and again and again and again. So those are a couple of the uh, top stories this morning. It's 923. We'll take a timeout here and do our pledge first. Then we'll take a timeout. I've got Jim Jordan. I've got Larry Levine. And I've got you at 216-901-0945. Patriots, go ahead and stand. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in supporting terrorists, that means you are anti-liberty. And if you are anti-liberty, then this flag means nothing to you because it stands for liberty. Don't fake it. You don't have to stand. Go ahead and take a knee like the Marxist that you likely are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. A lot of news to get to this morning. I welcome All right, 927. Quick follow-up on the uh, bombshell that Tim Tim, uh, Scott dropped on the uh, presidential politics community last night by withdrawing uh, from his, uh, from the race. Um, President Trump, who continues to have just an overwhelming and commanding lead, also made a statement yesterday that was a bombshell. Everybody's wondering who he will eventually decide to run with. And, you know, some names that have been popped up that have been popular have been Carrie Lake. But, of course, now she's running for Senate in in Arizona. So that might not be a thing. Uh, Some people have talked about other conservative uh, women like Christy Noem. As a possibility, not real sure. She's kind of had her uh, her, her spotlight dim just a little bit. Uh, Kim Reynolds from Iowa had been a men- had been mentioned, but then Kim Reynolds went ahead and endorsed last week <clears throat> Ron DeSantis for president, so that's out. What about on the uh, what about on the on the guy side of things? Who might be some of the some of the names? A lot of people liked, and I talked about this very briefly. Uh, Larry Elder who was a candidate who didn't make it to the debate stage because he got screwed out of it. But uh, Larry Elder, uh, again, particularly trying to appeal to the black vote. Um, but yesterday, Donald Trump threw another name into the into the ring. Or technically, he didn't throw it in. Um, he was asked about it, and he said, yeah, I think I would consider him. And the, the name, the name in question, Tucker Carlson. President Trump was asked about Tucker Carlson as a potential running mate. His response was, and I quote during a radio appearance, quote, I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would. I think I'd say I would because he's got great common sense. 
You know, when they say that you guys are conservative or I'm conservative, it's not that we're conservative. We have common sense. We want to have safe borders. We want to have a wall because walls work, he said. That's a direct quote. So how about that? That is a very, very interesting little little nugget. Tucker Carlson is getting more play now as a former Fox anchor than he than he did when he was leading the ratings by enormous numbers uh, when he was on Fox News. If you recall, Vivek Ramaswamy during the debate last Wednesday said that this debate should be hosted by Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. Uh, it would have ten times the viewership. We'd get a lot more done. He's right about that. So Tucker Carlson on a lot of lips right now, including former President Donald Trump's lips. Curious as to what you think about that. Trump Carlson 2024, how do you like it? Or does he need a politician? Remember, Donald Trump wasn't a politician. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, 935 on a Monday morning. You know what that means. It's time to check in with the boss, the uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Weaponization Subcommittee. He is also on the uh, Oversight Committee, and he is one of the lead investigators of all of the corruption going on surrounding the first family of crime. He is Jim Jordan. Congressman Jordan, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. Hope uh, hope you had a good weekend. Good to be yeah, with you. did indeed. Thank you, and uh, and I appreciate that. So, Congressman, it was a busy week before that weekend. Uh, you finally got a yeah. chance to sit down with David Weiss. We previewed it last Monday. Let's post-view it or review it now. Uh, what did you learn from the David Weiss testimony that is of use to you? Well, in, in a big-picture sense, he confirmed everything the whistleblowers told us. In fact, every we've, we've now deposed seven different individuals who are part of the David uh, uh, who were part of the Hunter Biden investigation, and they've all uh, confirmed what Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler told us. So, uh, which it wasn't a surprise because we knew those guys were were, were honest and, and their testimony has, has stood up. Second, uh, David Weiss was asked directly, "Did you ever request special attorney status in the course of your investigation?" And he said yes in the spring of 2022. So uh, that that goes contrary to what the Justice Department has been telling us. He was not given special counsel, special attorney status until August of this year, and but all along he maintained that he had full authority to bring charges wherever he wanted. But he did it. Because when he was when he was when he requested that status, it was right before he went to the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia and asked him to partner in the prosecution of Hunter Biden. And the U.S. attorney in D.C. said no. So I think that timing is significant. So he can't say that oh he had the authority to determine when, where, and whether to file charges when in fact he didn't, and any in his testimony uh, indicated that. So those were sort of the biggest takeaways. And then finally, I would just say this. It's been a five-year investigation, which again confirms what Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler said, which is that that they they drug their feet on this investigation the entire time, which has certainly been the case. With the intention of letting the statute of limitations expire for the key years. Now he wouldn't get into those things because you know he volunteered to come talk to us uh, in an interview um, with the with the scope of the, uh, the the questions being on his authority. But we did, we tried to get into that, and he, he just refused to answer those questions. Those would be things that we're gonna we're gonna determine later. But uh, by taking that long and allow he allowed the statute of limitations lapse uh, expire for years 2014, 2015, and of course those are the years Hunter Biden had this huge tax liability from the income he received from the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, and we believe that David Weiss didn't want to get into that because Burisma takes you right to the White House, right to Joe Biden, who, as we all remember. Uh, was involved in firing the prosecutor who was looking into the executives at Burisma 
uh, back when he was vice president. So, so procedurally, and I apologize for my lack of knowledge about this, I mean, why can't you ask him those things if he agrees to an interview? Why does he get to dictate the terms of the things he'll answer from sitting members of the United States House of Representatives? Well, well, well it, 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 that was the agreement that we reached. Now, remember, there's never been a sitting special counsel ever come testify in front of Congress. They okay. wanted to, though, this time, the Justice Department, because of the, the differing stories, that Mr. Weiss and Merrick Garland had told the Congress this summer. If you remember, I brought this up during the hearing uh, in the Oversight Committee. David Weiss wrote me two letters in July, then, or excuse me, in June, and then he wrote a letter to Lindsey Graham in July, and he said three different things in those three letters. And so we made that an issue, and I think they were trying to clarify all that. I don't think they did. I think they just further confirmed that the story has – they've maintained he had ultimate authority to bring charges wherever he wants. But in fact, he did it. Um, but they wanted to try to clear that up. So they took the unprecedented step of having a special counsel. Remember, he was named special counsel this August, yeah. even though he asked for it a year and a half ago. Uh, he was named special counsel this, this August um, and uh, was willing to come talk to us about his authority, which was the, kind of the key element, a key issue that we had raised concerns about uh, over, the, over the summer. So since you say correctly that there's never been a special counsel come testify before Congress, does that mean that was the last bite you get, or can you subpoena him for more? No, we could go, we could go more, and frankly, if, it seems to me, if, if in fact uh, we put together articles of impeachment and move forward with that, then, then we may need to talk to Mr. Weiss again. We'll have to see. Um, right now, we, we've got a number of people in that broader investigation that were We've sent uh, subpoenas to James Biden, Hunter Biden, Eric Sherwin, his, his, one of Hunter Biden's partners. We're, we're, we're going to uh, subpoena Mr. Morris, uh, uh, who was the guy who paid his taxes, some of the people who dealt with and purchased Hunter Biden's art. Uh, we need to talk to uh, and some of his other business partners. So there's several people we need to bring in for interviews and, and or depositions, depending on if they come voluntarily or not, uh, here over the next month and a half. And then I think we make a decision based on all the facts we've gathered, whether there's going to be actual articles of impeachment against the president of the United States. And we move forward with that uh, next year. That'll be driven by the facts. I, um, among that list of individuals you're talking about subpoenaing that you'd like to talk to, I didn't hear the name Tony Bobolinsky. He was the guy who came forward yeah. immediately when the laptop was discovered and then, of course, buried. How come he's not a major player in this and talking no, he about will what be. he knows? No, he will. He will be, too. He will be, too. That's the name that's been out there. But you're right. He will be, too. That's someone we're going to talk to. Okay. And, and Kevin Morris, you mentioned you, you mentioned Kevin Morris. He's the guy who paid Hunter Biden's taxes. You want him. Yeah. Will, will this be a huge? Of course, we want to talk to that guy. Yeah, he, he will be subpoenaed as well. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned the impeachment inquiry uh, and, and whether or not we get to impeachment articles. What's the timetable look like there? I think I think those individuals we just talked about, uh, we'll sit for depositions uh, and, and or interview, depending, again, if they, if they come voluntarily or not, uh, this, this November and December, this, this calendar year. And then I think we make a decision. And, and so if, in fact, we decide to move forward with articles of impeachment, I, I see that as happening in January and February next year. Um, do you have the support of the speaker on that? Uh, he has been clear about being driven by the facts. Now, I know there was some story out this week, but, but uh, Speaker Johnson's indicated that was not accurate, how that was reported. So I think it would be totally driven by the facts. And, of course, as, as you know, and we've talked about before, 
uh, Speaker Johnson was a member of our committee, a good member of our committee, and a and a very skilled lawyer. Um, that I, I I I believe Mike when he tells us when he says that you know he'll be driven by the facts and we'll, we'll make a decision based on those facts. Is there a risk, Congressman Jordan, um, of generating any kind of sympathy? support for Biden if he's impeached so close to his reelection in the reelection year, kind of like we're seeing, you know, President Trump even joked about it before his fourth indictment. He said, all he need is one more to clinch the nomination, because every time <laughs> every time he gets hit with something, you know, it, it angers more people for the way it's being done yeah. and they come and support him. Is there any concern about that? You know, they're trying to impeach a guy who's up for reelection. Why don't you just let the people decide whether he should be impeached come November? I mean, fair question, but but I, I guess I don't. I'm not driven by the politics one way or the other. I, I think that's not our job. Our job is to be, um, you know, our actions to be driven and dictated by the facts. And the facts right now are compelling. I think very compelling, particularly when you think about Burisma. And I, I I know we talked before. I think this story is as, is as old as the hills. It's a politician is taking certain actions that benefit his family financially. And then there's an attempt to sweep it under the rug. And that's exactly what happened in my judgment, specifically, uh, particularly about the, the issue of Hunter Biden being on the board of Burisma, this Ukrainian energy company, and the actions Joe Biden took with our tax dollars, threatened our tax dollars, saying we're not going to give any kind of aid that's already been approved. We're not going to give that unless you take certain actions, Ukraine. And they did. That was uh, the very thing his son asked him to do as a, as a member of, that, uh, of the board of that Ukrainian energy company. And then, of course, there's the five-year investigation where they try to do the sweetheart deal, where they let the statute of limitations lapse for the years that deal with the Burisma income. I think that is as clear as it gets. Uh, and then you you layer on top of that um, what happened with the China money, with Russian money, and this $200,000 check and this $40,000 check that, that Chairman Comer's committee has uncovered. And I think that's a story that the American people can say. They were selling access to the brand. Um, that is clearly what was going on. I think that's all pretty compelling, but we want to make sure we get all the facts, put it all down, and make sure that that's the direction we want to go. Regarding circling back to that list of names, and the most important of which I think is probably Hunter Biden, you said he's been subpoenaed, and you're looking at sometime this month or next month before the end of the calendar year for all of those guys. Is there any chance he defies the subpoena, and what happens if he does? Um. He decides not to come. Yeah. He, he, he yeah. fights it. Well, exactly. Abby Lowell, his, you know, he's got Abby Lowell, uh, his, a well-known lawyer at his defense counsel, um, and he has said that he. I think the statement was that that his client looks forward to telling his story at the right time. Now, I don't know what that means, but I think he probably comes in at some point. Like you know, you got these facts out there. You got the WhatsApp message. You got the ten percent for the big guy. Uh, emails, you got all these this information out there. I think at some point he has to come in and answer questions, just like his just like Devin Archer did back in the summer, his partner. So uh, I expect those individuals to come uh, to come in and, and respond uh, to the subpoena. Okay, I hope so, because, I mean, uh, for goodness sakes, we've been watching this whole thing build for so long now. He needs to answer so many questions, and I'm just wondering if he, you know, is afraid of burying himself, and he won't just stand there and say fifth, 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 and just not say anything, because, of course, well, he could, he, now, you always have that right. I, mean, he could I know. Come in, I'm just wondering uh, if you think he'll actually answer system. questions or not. Um, I mean, he went on ABC News and said the reason he got the, the position on Burisma was because of his last name. So, I mean, he's willing to say that on ABC News. I, I, I mean, who knows? 
and that's a question that that he him and him and his counsel uh, you know he and his counsel will decide but um and if he wants to exercise his fifth amendment rights he has every right as an american citizen uh, under our constitution our, the greatest constitution ever to, to to take those rights but um we'll just have to wait and see Let's talk money. Last week I asked you about uh, CR and whether or not you would support another continuing resolution after the last one, essentially, was the final straw that broke the back of Kevin McCarthy. And you said, yeah, you would support a new CR so that we can get into next year and then start working on appropriations. Speaker Johnson announced some kind of two-step CR. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not exactly sure yet. We're, we're just getting that. we got a meeting with, uh, with the speaker tonight. Uh, he's actually uh, visiting with a group of us uh, this evening, uh, and we'll, we'll get a better, better handle. What I indicated I was supporting of, uh, supporting of uh, uh, was, and I campaigned on this when I ran for the job, is a long-term CR that would allow the 1% cut to kick in if we don't do our job. Uh, so, but that long-term CR had to be something past past April 30th for that for that cut to kick in. So that's what I that's what I campaigned on for the job. Um, there was there was a handful of folks in the conference who didn't want that. I think that was largely largely why I, I didn't get the job. But um, so we'll see uh, what what Mike has proposed is a shorter term two two part one that's two weeks apart. I think one of them is January 19th. The other was I think February 2nd. So we're gonna we're gonna see um, how that all works out. Um, I have some some concerns about it, but uh, I want to I want to be in fairness to to Mike. I want to talk to the speaker tonight uh, with a group of my uh, colleagues. Okay, um, so let me let me pivot to national security, and this is both domestic and foreign uh, issues. Um, there are pro Palestinian rallies still happening all over this country, hundreds of thousands, and all over the world, hundreds of thousands yeah. in Paris. They were in Brussels. They were in Barcelona. They were all over the place to continue to be all over the place here. Meanwhile, just saw this number this morning. Uh, anti-Semitic violent crimes have risen 388% since October 7th. Remember, Israelis, mm-hmm. Jews, were the victims on October 7th, and yet somehow, in, in, in less than a month's time, or about a month's time, they are the enemy. They are the ones who are, are bearing the brunt of the, of the violence. And there is more and more of a push, not just for pro-Palestinian causes, but literally they are pivoting to pro-Hamas. Um, how do, how, yeah. how, how do you, as a, as, a, as a legislator, how do you react when you see the, the population of this country and polls going so, and worldwide going so decidedly against our ally, the only functioning democracy in the Middle East of Israel? No, it's, it's, uh, it's scary to see. Um, you know, Israel is our dearest and closest ally. This, this, this terrible rise in anti-Semitic um, activity is just just as wrong as wrong can be so i think we got to continue to speak out for it we got to continue to say we're going to help israel uh i i think i've shared with you early on right after this this attack happened on october 7th a couple days later i spoke with former ambassador uh a great guy who was one of the key architects of the abraham accords working in the trump administration and i remember talking to him he says well what's going to happen jim he says in a few weeks there will be a push to, to tell us to, you know, a ceasefire, for a ceasefire. He says, we're going to have to have the time, the space, and the resources to do the job right, to, to go get these evil terrorists and kill them. And, uh, and, and he's 100% right, and what we have to do as lawmakers is say, we're, we don't, these crazy protests that are happening, 
we're going we're gonna to stick with Israel and, and make sure we give them the support they need to go do the job. And that's, we just got to stay focused on the objective, which is stopping this evil group, Hamas, from, uh, from doing this and going and killing the people who did these terrible things to our Jewish friends. Congressman, now let's talk about the domestic side of the security. Um, I'm going to play a short clip here for you. It's just about 12 seconds, and I want you to listen to it, and then I want you to tell me who you think it is. And it only grew in strength from there. They're screaming Biden, Biden, Biden. Tell me who you think that might be. I, I don't know. I was I, I wasn't even sure it was Biden until you told me that. Uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. Was it? Uh, I assume it's maybe some. If they're, if they're cheering for Joe Biden, it's got to be some left wing group. But I, but I don't well, know. Well, the reason I brought it up is because it's not just a bunch of you know Joe Biden supporters in 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 the United States. You don't see those hardly anywhere. This is a massive caravan of military oh. age males. <laughs> Filmed uh, outside of Huixla, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Mexico, five days ago on November 8th. A massive caravan. And I'm looking at this as I watch this video for children and I'm looking for women and I see almost exclusively military-aged males. They're outside of the border in Mexico chanting for their hero, the one who is allowing them to come in, Congressman. Yeah. Um, So... I use that to ask you what that tells you about the state of our homeland security and the uh, the, uh, uh, well, the uh, impeachment articles introduced or at least proposed by MTG for the uh, the uh, secretary of that uh, of that agency. Yeah, it, it just underscores how how pathetic this administration has been on on well, frankly, not on every issue, but certainly on the border. You know, I, I've said I've said many times before, we went from a secure border to no border. And there's no other way to say it. There is no border. People coming, coming across, all kinds of bad people. If you just look at the terror, those on the terrorist watch, and you just you just graph it out from when Trump, it was real, real, real low, and then boom, the spike happens under Biden. I think it's 160 already this year. So um, it, it is it is that serious. And you couple that with what FBI Director Ray said a couple weeks ago, which is like. He thinks there's there, that some some bad people are going to be in quote inspired by Hamas these, these evil people to do evil things here and you 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 marry that with the situation on our border and that's how serious the concern is for the security of of, of our country and American citizens so but it doesn't seem to matter to these guys they just keep going and I think I shared this of the millions who've come across we asked this question multiple times finally they gave us an answer after months. Of the millions who've come across, how many have been adjudicated since Joe Biden took office? Since January 20th, 2021, since Joe Biden took office, the millions have come across, how many have been adjudicated and actually removed from the country? And it's been 6,000. That's it. <laughs> so it's just everyone's just being let, they're just being released all across the country, so much so that even Democrat elected officials are saying, time out. This has got to stop. And frankly, this is probably something that should be on the CR, something we proposed. Um, Eight weeks ago, and there were there were people who said, "No, we can't do any type of CR, even with something on the border on it." That this position I was I was advocating for. Um, so this is I think will be something uh, to, to kind of come full circle, uh, Bob. Something we'll talk to the speaker about this evening. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? That little video that I just played, the audio portion of For You, should be on television, and it should be on President Trump's yep. campaign, and play it round the clock, for crying out loud, because this is literally, these are foreign nationals, again, military-age males, thanking Joe Biden for allowing them into the country as they work their way across. It's simply uh, reprehensible, and, and it is so dangerous and, for all of us. And, Bob, remember, it started on day one. Day one, Joe Biden announced, we will stop building the wall. Yep. We will no longer have remain in Mexico, and you will be released into the country. That's all you need to say. When, when he said those three things, it's like that just sent a message to the entire world. America is open. There is no border. And that's exactly what's happened. That's exactly right. Uh, super quick, uh, anybody that we need to look for testifying before judiciary or oversight this week? Not this week. Um, not not in, in judiciary. There'll be a focus on this the spending issue this week, but we will continue to be uh, doing depositions. And the report released released a couple of weeks ago on on attacks on free speech. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And if if you, if you got nothing better to do, I would encourage your audience to get that report and just look at what they were doing to censor conservatives. I mean, even CISA, as part of the in the Homeland Security Department of Homeland Security. They were involved in censoring the very guy they're supposed to work for, President Trump. Think about that. His own government was involved in censoring the president. That's how I mean, undermining the very guy they're supposed to be working for. Um, this is how bad it was. Uh, so if, if when, when you got nothing better to do, take a look at that report. We that's put a out, huge story. Yeah, that's a huge stuff. report. Yep. Maybe we'll maybe we'll have another have you on again. We'll talk solely about that because it is that big. Congressman Jordan, thank you for the time you put into this each and every you week. Bet. We appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer took us all the way to 955. We'll take a time out here. Yeah, we didn't talk much about this this past week, but last week a report was published by Congressman Jordan. This is after, of course, we spoke to him last Monday that shows the partnership between the uh, federal government and big tech and academia to censor conservatives more than more widespread than anybody ever thought before. They used Stanford University, among others, uh, to partner with them. Their their Internet Observatory worked with Homeland Security uh, and DOJ and others to try and silence conservatives online to affect and change public opinion. It's extraordinary. And we didn't get to it last week because that, that report came out after we talked to Jim Jordan. So we'll have to uh, spend some time on that this week as well. All right, it's 9.56. Quick time out. We'll get some news at the top of the hour. We're going to come back and talk about filling some buses to head down to Washington, D.C. Larry Levine is a author, or excuse me, a writer, journalist, and commentator. He's going to tell us about that coming up. If you want to go down and support Israel in D.C. in a huge rally. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two underway now. Thanks for being with us. It's uh, seven minutes after 10 o'clock on this 13th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. The U.S. and Israel are unsure how many hostages that Hamas took, uh, Hamas terrorists took on October 7th are still alive. That was one of the sobering moments yesterday from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. He was on ABC. He said the U.S. remains focused on securing the release of 
the nine U.S. citizens and one U.S. green card holder believed to be in Hamas custody. Israel is classing, classifying all 239 missing individuals as hostages, but there is no way to be sure whether or not they are now casualties. Quote, we do not know the precise number of hostages. We know the number of, the, of missing and that's the number the Israelis have given. We don't know how many of them are still alive. As far as Americans are concerned, there are nine missing American citizens, as well as a, a missing legal permanent resident green card holder, end quote. Uh, he said they're meeting with family members later this week to discuss efforts to free them. And, of course, we all know there are no efforts to free them that are going to result in their survival um, unless Hamas actually surrenders and releases them. The ongoing assault, which I will continue to call a self-defense exercise, which is what Israel is carrying out in Gaza right now. These are not offensive maneuvers. These are self-defensive exercises, because that's what they're doing. If they do not take out Hamas and the terrorists who brought them October 7th, Hamas has already promised there will be another one on October 10th. This is, of course, metaphorical, not metaphorical, but uh, you understand it's uh, figurative. Uh, then he said there will be an October 1 millionth because we will never stop. Considering that direct threat, they have no choice but to exercise self-defense. And that's what they're doing right now by going after them in Gaza. And the more that that continues and the more... Uh, destruction that is done to Hamas, it calls into question whether or not the hostages will ever be able to be freed. So this is this is the state of where we are. And how is the world reacting? Well, I told you a little bit of that last hour. Over 500,000 pro-Palestine slash pro-Hamas protesters demonstrated in London yesterday. More in Paris Brussels, Barcelona, Cape Town, Dublin, and of course we've seen it here in Washington, and we see it in big cities all over this country as well. Pro-Palestine, pro-ceasefire. Pro-Palestinian, pro-ceasefire. Pro-Hamas, pro-ceasefire. Which of course all equals and adds up to anti-Israel. And I hope that is as clear as anything can be to you. All of this is anti-Israel. Well, finally, tomorrow, somebody is going to host a pro-Israel event, and it's going to be on Washington, D.C. It's the March for Israel on the National Mall tomorrow from 1 to 4. There are going to be buses departing from locations all over the country, including here in Ohio and including here in Cleveland. This is being sponsored by the uh, Cleveland Jewish community. And we are going to support them in every way we can by giving you all of the information you need to be on one of those buses if you possibly can. We all know that work intrudes. We all know that personal matters intrude on uh, opportunities like this. But for those who can, we want to make this easy for you to be a part of so that we can show the country and show the rest of the world that we are not anti-Israel, that we are not pro-terrorists. It's important to make this massive show of force. We need to have hundreds of thousands of people in Washington tomorrow. All right, joining me now to discuss this trip and more on the ongoing Middle East war, which which is what it is, although I will continue to 
to uh, swear by Israel's uh, response being nothing more than self-defense, is Larry Levine. Larry Levine is uh, vice president of the Israel Institute. He is an activist. He is an author. He is a commentator. And he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, with more. Larry, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for your perspective, uh, because you're direct and right on with us. Well, there's no other way to be here. I, uh, I, I'm very, very frustrated by those trying to create some sort of moral equivalence between uh, Israeli civilians who are slaughtered on October 7th and Gazan civilians who are being killed in collateral damage, specifically because that is what Hamas wants them to do. They have literally declared that they want their blood spilled so they can inspire more of the revolutionary spirit against Israel that they need. So the moral equivalence, in other words, that's my response to directness. I uh, I see no other way to say this than to say it directly, Larry, and I'm sure you agree. Oh, absolutely. And and the best evidence of that is the day after the massacre uh, in Columbus, Ohio, a friend called me and said, there's a rally downtown. I said, for what? And they said, it's a pro-Palestine rally. I said, well, are they rallying against Hamas? Uh, I couldn't believe they were having a rally. And uh, I went downtown. There was a, there was over 125, mostly students for justice in Palestine, which is, by the way, the group in every college campus that's causing these rallies. They're supported by uh, the uh, Hamas. They're supported by murky funding from overseas, and they cause most of the harassment uh, on campuses. And that group should be banned everywhere. They've been around uh, harassing Jews for 15 years. But they had that rally, notably, before Israel had to to do their defensive action. So they couldn't say that Israel was, you know, carpet bombing all the other lies that they make. Um, That's why I was so shocked. Uh, You know, a few weeks later, they wait, and then, you know, Israel has to take action because these guys hide in mosques, they hide under hospitals, um, and then they lie. (laughs) No other way to put it. No, you're, you're media exactly falls right. for it. Um, the left falls for it, and you know the hospital bombings. The best example. There's still people today that are saying Israel bombed that hospital and 500 people died. I mean, we all know that was bull um, and nonsense. And then uh, the media, you know, who are biased, uh, use that, and they don't uh, they don't tell anybody that they're getting their figures from Hamas. Well, they, some of them did. Some of them did, including the New York Times, who was they were so quick to run the headline about uh, Israel striking that hospital. Then eventually walked it back, and then eventually did say, uh, you know, that it was uh, likely not, and so forth. But what what is most infuriating to me? Well. As infuriating to me, um, you know, as the media doing such things is having American members of Congress do this. And what Rashida Tlaib right. did after that, and this was, was, of course, again, after the walk back, after the acknowledgement, okay, now we actually have video and we have audio that proves that this came from the Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad uh, uh, terror group, which is a kind of, kind of, you know, Hamas Part B. Um, once it was proven, she was still up there claiming that. And again, this propaganda, right. the propaganda that is advanced by, you know, I, I feel like whether you are a Palestinian American like Rashida Tlaib or whether you're a Hamas terrorist in Gaza, they're all following, you know, the Muslim doctrine of Takia, which is is to present false information, tell lies in order to uh, in order to aid your cause and to demonize your enemy. I mean, they literally use this. It's not something where it's just excused. 
against, you know, telling untruths is excused in Islamic law. It is encouraged if it helps you win battles. That's right. And you know what? Americans don't follow this. They don't understand what this is about. I'm in Nashville right this minute for the long story, but uh, there was a uh, mosque on a main street, and they were out front, big crowd, and they're just telling lies. Israel's been occupied for 75 years. I mean, Palestine has been occupied for 75 years. I said, please uh, name, you know, where's Palestine to you? And they just lie. Uh, and Americans don't understand that this is it's a cultural thing. It's a religious thing. And um, they fall for it because basically we're good people here. <laughs> and you see babies being killed and, and, you know, they're telling you Jews and Israelis are doing it. The people tend to, you know, use their emotions instead of thinking about it. Right. So, um, and, you know, I, I, it was, it was fruitless, but I did it anyway. I stood there and argued with them uh, and they just have it all down. They have the whole thing, you know, the yeah. ethnic cleansing and all the other oh, yeah, stuff. All the talking That's the points. Only place. Yeah. yeah. All the talking points. Gaza is the only place that's been ethnically cleansed that has increased in population in world history. So, um, more Arabs there. Yeah. So, uh, in a massive way, by the way. So, if they are, they're the worst at ethnic cleansing and genocide that anybody's ever been because uh, they just continue to grow the population instead. Um, We're talking to Larry Levine, vice president of the Israel Institute. He is an author and a commentator and an activist and. Um, how important is it for there to be a show, a massive show of support for Israel in the face of all of this massive show of support for uh, Palestinians? They continue to demonize Israel as being occupiers and colonizers of true Palestinian land, the true Palestine, of which, from my discussion with many, many historians and researchers, it never existed. There never was an actual Palestine. Um uh, and therefore, there are no Palestinians. But since that's the language that we use, it is what it is. But we're seeing these pro-Palestine rallies all over the country. Now we're trying to have a huge one in Washington, D.C. tomorrow. How important do you think that is to show um, the rest of the country, t- but but as well as the world stage, that we are solidly behind Israel, where it looks like maybe we're wavering? Well, you know, it's incredibly important. And it's also important for the Jewish community, because October 6th, the day before... We were all divided. All the political situation in Israel and, you know, politics here. But after October 7th, the Jewish community, I've never seen since, you know, the the wars in the past, I've never seen us more united. The left, the right, I've been screaming about our, to our community for years that the real growth industry in uh, in, uh, anti-Semitism is coming from the left. And... Now they understand it, and they've said, well, we, you know, I apologize. You were right. Well, I don't want to be right, but it's the truth. And I think our communities are going to make a huge showing tomorrow, and it's good for us as well because there are still some who don't believe this, um, and they don't get the nuances of what Israel has to go through. And on a very visceral uh, level, uh, when you see people being murdered just because they're Jewish in Israel, and by the way, most of them were leftists <laughs> in, in uh, southern Israel. They were kibbutzniks, and they were peace activists, which is ironic. Mm-hmm. It has brought us all together, and that's, that's good, because when we're unified as a community, uh, it's going to be tough to beat us. How unified are we really, though? 
given the well, you know the Hamas squad that's you know some 18 members of Congress signed a demand to Joe Biden introduced a resolution demanding that the United States uh, encourage and urge and uh, and uh, indeed facilitate a ceasefire which of course we know is a full-on surrender by Israel um, right. You know, because they're all of one party and, and you know, it, it would be great if we were truly united. I think we are in some ways and in some manners. But but like I said, there is a very, very strong pushback against any support that we have for Israel coming still from a good segment of the Democrat Party. And the Jewish community. I mean, I think that and the Jew- uh, well, well, OK, I'll let you speak for that. I was, I was talking to somebody about this last week. I apologize for the intrusion. Um about no. whether or not these are actual Jews, whether or not, you know, the, some of these organizations, some of these radical organizations are actually Jews. They are anti-Israel. They are anti, anti-Jewish, anti self-hating Jews. I don't know what to call yeah. them. but um, We call but them Dinos. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I like the that. name only. Yeah, right. Okay. Or as a Jew. They start off saying as a Jew. And I yeah. ask them, really, when was the last time you were in synagogue? They don't even know what that is. Right. Um, no, these groups like, like uh, Jewish, uh, I think it's Jewish Voice for Peace or something like that. Yeah, they're front groups. J Street is a Soros-funded front group, and most of them are not pro-Israel; they're anti-Israel, and they fool the people on the margins—the secular Jews who are, um, you know, by nature idealistic, uh, you know—and and they're doesn't mean they're right or wrong, um, because you know anybody that's pro-peace, you can't really get mad at them, but they're naive and in some cases stupid, and they get fooled. Jewish Voice for Peace, that's it. Uh, they get fooled by these groups, and they are, in fact, anti-Israel. So, uh, no, you, you've got it straight. And, you know, they're still Jews, and they're still senators who believe that there should be a two-state solution. If you're in Israel and you just had your friends butchered, babies, grandmothers kidnapped, do you want to have another state, you know, next to you? Um, and, you know, the answer should be no. And now Blinken's pushing for the Palestinian Authority, who still teaches their kids and that Jews are evil and all this other stuff. They just found Mein Kampf <laughs> as a, in Arabic in, in the homes in Gaza. Would you want them to also now control Gaza? No. So it's, it's complicated, and uh, you know people have to, for this war, understand that Hamas in, his, in its charter— says all Jews everywhere. That means Cleveland. That means Columbus. Every Jew on earth has to be murdered. So it's not a political situation. It's either them or us. And they'll go for Christians next, because that's, that's, that's what they're there for, you know, to make the world submit to them. So uh, it's hard for somebody in the West to understand this. So they want to break it down as they see it here, and that's not what's happening. These are bloodthirsty, you don't even want to call them animals. I love animals. Um, you know, inhuman thugs. And they need to be wiped off, off the face of the earth. And it's be good for Gazans, frankly. They're not all yeah. innocent, by the way. They voted for these people. Uh, Absolutely. Them. Well, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was listening to another commentator um, last week, late last week, talking about the difference between... Um, um, Gazan civilians or quote unquote Palestinians and Hamas and 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 then also making the connection in the comparison to the Nazis um, right. you know, the Nazis this commentator said um, most of them had to spend their nights getting drunk 
And they did because yeah. because it helped them forget all of the horrific things they were doing all day long to Jews. Whereas, right. whereas what we have seen in the videos from Hamas, they're they're not ashamed of it. They're not trying to forget it. They are gleeful in it. They are celebrating it. We have we have audio of phone calls made from them to their parents, telling father and mother how many Jews they killed with their bare hands today, and what what things that they did. Aren't you proud of me? They're they're doing this with glee. I mean, Hamas is almost is almost worse and. The other element to that that the commentator talked about is you see, you know, they're parading bodies through the streets of Gaza and and Gazan civilians, the ones that we're supposed to be worried about becoming collateral damage, are spitting at and and hitting and and desecrating the bodies. So even if they are not Hamas, they're civilians. Yeah, they're not technically Hamas, you know, fighters and terrorists. They are actively supporting what they've done. I mean, how, how, how sad are you going to feel for the death of somebody who's spitting at Jewish bodies that have been massacred? That's right. And unfortunately, 80% of the Gazans, of the Arabs in Gaza, uh, all along have supported the tens, think about this, tens of thousands of indiscriminate rockets that have been fired towards civilians. Uh, one hit a kindergarten. Uh, there happened to be no, nobody in there at that minute that came from uh, Syria. Mm-hmm. So this is what the Israelis have to do and to on a day-to-day basis uh, deal with this. And, you know, but what is really interesting is it seems like in Israel proper, meaning not the territories, not Gaza, there's a the Arabs that live there, uh, 20% of Israel, by the way, not apartheid, um, seem to be identifying more and more with Israel. They're fighting in the war. They're protecting it. Uh, not all of them, obviously, but, uh, it, you know, it, there's more freedom in Israel for Arabs than anywhere in the Middle East. Um, and, and people don't get that. So the other side happens to have a lot of money behind them, and they've co-opted. I didn't know this, by the way, and you may not. You seem to know everything, by the way. Well. You didn't really need me on today. Uh, no, we, we but, do. Believe me, we do. We need more voices and we need more information. I only give what I get, uh, and that's what I do. I well, study it and I pass on what I have learned. But 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 please educate believe me, me now. I appreciate what do we need it because you you know everything. The the CNN Christian Christian Amanpour mm-hmm. was actually supported and funded by Hamas to go to school, and since then she has been very pro Muslim Brotherhood. I always wondered why. And if people understand that who CARE is, C-A-I-R, Council of American-Israel Relations, I'm, I'm sorry, American Islamic Council Relations. of American-Islamic Relations, they were fun- started by Hamas. They're funded by, uh, today, Iran, but uh, Qatar, and they're a terrorist front group. They were unindicted, unindicted co-conspirators in the uh, Holy Land Foundation trial where they were funding, giving funds to Hamas. Exactly. So she's co-opted, uh, and yet they still hire her. Um, I had no idea, because all these years I wondered where, where this was coming from with her. Um, and she's, you know, absolutely, uh, you talk about fake news with her, consistently lies about, even today, about the hospital. She uses now the, um, the front of saying that the Palestinians in Ramallah gave the information on the number of Arabs being killed. So 
they just lie and lie, and people fall for it. Yeah, they they do. Most people don't know, and most people don't know care is, you know, essentially the American media wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. And most people don't know enough about the Muslim Brotherhood and what their goal is. Their goal, of course, is a worldwide caliphate and, indeed, the uh, imposition of Sharia law on everyone. And Sharia law says you you will either be... Uh, a Muslim, a practicing, faithful Muslim, worshiping uh, uh, Allah and and uh, and praising and praising Muhammad, or you will die. You will either be converted or killed. It is literally the goal of radical fundamentalist Islam, which is practiced by the Muslim Brotherhood. And care is exactly like I said, their media arm. So um, people need to know, you know the reality of what that. we're facing. Mm-hmm. And I say that it sounds like we're paranoid, but when you tell people that, you show them evidence, and, and if people start looking at it, they're horrified because you just said the truth. Islam means submit. It doesn't mean peace. Jihad does not mean peace of the mind. Uh, you know, they, Rashida Tlaib just made this whole thing up from the river to the sea is uh, something in your mind and aspirational, and, you know, it sounds very woke, so the left just buys it. <laughs> Yep, that's and exactly it's not. Right. It means they they want no Jews between the river and the sea, and no Israel. Yeah, and so, she tells um, her lie about this aspirational thing. About they, they don't want a two state solution. You cannot have a two state solution if one state wants the other state dead. It'd be like saying we can have a marriage, a nice successful marriage, if one if the husband wants to kill the wife. No, it doesn't work that way. If one doesn't want to be no. a part of it, then you have no solution, and that's where we are. Uh, Larry, we're out of time here. I want to thank you for coming on, Larry Levine, our guest. Um, uh, very very information the vice president of the Israel Institute. Any other websites you want to promote, Larry? Well, I have a podcast. So does everybody in the world. It's called The World Doesn't Need Another Podcast Podcast. Love it. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't think of another one. I figured I'd be one of the zillionth person, person who have one. <laughs> and you know what? Many of them are very, very valuable, entertaining and valuable and informative. And, I, and it sounds like that's what yours is all about, too. So so thank you. Larry, that's right. Or LarryMLevine.com is fine. LarryMLevine.com. Got it. We'll, put, we'll promote both all those right. things. Larry, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. God bless. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, that looks and sounds like us all over. Thanks again to Larry Levine. A lot of important information there on uh, the trip tomorrow. I'll tell you more. Actually, it's tonight. I'll tell you more about tomorrow's rally in a second. But we also had uh, Jim Jordan on this morning. If you missed Congressman Jordan in the first hour, it's uh, posted already at whkradio.com. I'll have it up on my Rumble page as well. Just try not to listen to it during the show because then you're going to miss some stuff during the show. Uh, but uh, it'll be available for you whenever you do want to listen to it. So let me give you the specifics on the trip tomorrow for those who are interested. Um, and hopefully there are a lot of people interested. Um one o'clock is the National Mall. On the National Mall is the actual of, official uh, um, uh, march, the March for Israel. They're calling this the March for Israel. It's from one to four o'clock on the National Mall. How are you getting down to D.C.? Let me just give you the full details here. Since the brutal terrorist attacks on Israeli citizens on October 7, uh, anti-Israel rhetoric and hatred toward the Jewish people has grown exponentially across the country and around the world. I have stats on that, by the way. It's time for us to use our collective voice to make clear that Israel has the right to defend itself against terrorist groups like Hamas and that we will not let rising anti-Semitism and acts of intimidation silence us. 
And most importantly, we must demand that Hamas safely and immediately return the more than 200 innocent civilians they kidnapped as part of its terror attack. Since, or excuse me, join the Cleveland Jewish community for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to D.C., where we will rally with the American Jewish community in solidarity with Israel. Cleveland has always had a strong and leading voice in North, the North American Jewish communal world, and it's critical that we be heard at this national call to action. Now, before I read you any more, obviously it goes without saying that Cleveland is also an extraordinarily strong pro-Jewish community from the Christian uh, side of things as well. We are a truly a believer in the Judeo-Christian um, model or uh, you know principle upon which this country was built. And I'm very proud to be a Catholic and a Christian who is fully supportive of the Jewish uh, community. And um, I know that there are Christians who will unite. And that's what, by the way, my friend Michael Goldstein is the uh, uh, is uh, national vice president of the uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, which is uh, an, an activist organization uh, in which uh, Christian Christians and, and Jews come together in support of righteousness for all. Um, that's a very generic way of saying it, but. My point is, you don't have to be Jewish to get on the bus tonight. That's my point. I hope if you believe in what is right, you will consider this. If, again, if you have the opportunity to go. Some people have work. Some people cannot go. I get it. I'm not going to cast any aspersions on anybody as far as you know their, their intent. But if you can go, here are the details. The buses will depart at approximately 12.30 a.m. from Beechwood. So, in other words, shortly after midnight tonight from Beechwood. It will return tomorrow night around 11 p.m. Detailed departure information, including pickup site for the buses, will be provided upon registration. I'll tell you about registering in a moment. Kosher food will be provided throughout the day for those traveling on the buses with the Federation. Each passenger will be allowed to take one personal item on the bus, you know, a backpack or, or purse or whatever. The Federation will provide free same-day bus transportation for all who would like to travel uh, on this important trip. Did you catch that? It's free. Whether you have your own transportation or plan to travel with the Federation, please register so that we have an accurate headcount of the number of Clevelanders attending. One note, unaccompanied minors are not allowed to go. For ages 16 to 18, there needs to be one adult for every eight kids. And if the kids are under 16, there needs to be one adult for every four kids. Obviously, it's important to make sure everyone is safe and accounted for when you go down and uh, making sure that your minors are taken care of is, is of paramount importance. So there's a website link. Uh, it's an eventbrite.com website link. I suppose you could go to eventbrite.com and do a search for March for Israel to register and get your tickets. Again, the cost is, is there is no cost, but to, to ride the buses down. But to register, go to eventbrite.com. Bright is B-R-I-T-E. For those who have never used it, eventbrite, one word, event, B-R-I-T-E, bright.com. And uh, you'll you just do a little search there for March for Israel tickets. That should get you there. The other thing you could do is go to jewishcleveland.org. JewishCleveland.org. That's the Jewish Federation of Cleveland. And you will have information or you can find information on the website there. As a matter of fact, let me click the home page. And it is I'm trying to see if the, the March for Israel is uh, is listed on there so you can find it easily. Uh, it is. It is. 
So if you just go to the homepage there, jewishcleveland.org, you can see a link to to a March for Israel. Click that. That'll take you to the Eventbrite link. All right? I just want to kind of provide that service because it is extraordinarily important that we have a massive showing. Listen, if they get half a million people to Washington, D.C. to march on the mall in support of terrorists, we doggone well better not not show up there with just 50,000 people in support of Israel. It will send a terrible message to the rest of the world. It will send a terrible message. We need to pack that mall tight, shoulder to shoulder, chest to back, with people there saying, never again, never again, and let's stop this now. All right. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll go to Rachel in Cleveland. Rachel, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me again. Um, I just want to echo what Larry Levine said, which he was an incredible to speak the truth about what's going on. Um, I want to point out a few differences. Mm-hmm. Jews are people of peace, and we don't want to fight. We don't want war. And I just want to point out to people, if you look at all the rallies, and I went to Ohio State um, even before, you know, all this craziness, and, and any of the quote-unquote Palestinian rallies, full of hate and anger and screaming and yelling. And if you look tomorrow at the rally that's going to be going on in Washington, D.C., or any Jewish rally, that's not what you're going to see. You're not going to see hate. You're not going to see anger. You're going to see unity and love and everybody just coming together and in, in peace and harmony, and I'm saying this is this is a, big, a very big difference. We don't we don't spew hate. We don't spew all of these disgusting things. You'll see singing. You'll see people walking together, arm in arm, and that's who the Jewish people are. And I want to make that very clear. My brother-in-law happens to be um, on the front lines. He grew up in Cleveland. He moved to Israel. Um, he did his time in the IDF. A long time ago, um, but he was called up, and he's been there since October 7th. Um, and his sons really want him home. So two things on that point. One is he sent us a video recently, which I really am hoping going viral. It's not his It's not his troops um, or his army base, mm-hmm. um, but there is like a humanitarian passage that's going on in Gaza where there's women and children, and there are some, I have seen a lot of them, giving medical aid, the IDF, the IDF is giving water and food and medical aid to the people of Gaza, um, which, you know, Where are you I seeing hope. this, Rachel? Where, where are you seeing this? So my brother-in-law sent me this video. I'm happy to send it to you on social media. Um, yeah, yeah. This needs to be seen know? by everybody. That's the reason yes. I asked where yes. you saw it, because, you know, again, the, the, the propagandists who are supportive of, of what Hamas is doing and trying to demonize Israel they say that Israel doesn't care about civilians. They're just there to take their pound of flesh and their revenge and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I know they're doing it for crying out loud. I don't know if you knew this, but between, well, you probably do. You're very up on this. Fifty to 200,000 Gazans were able to evacuate during that pause period uh, that, was, uh, that was allowed yesterday, and they opened the corridor uh, for them to get through. Why would, why would Israel do that? Because the reality is they don't have to, and they may be even hurting their own cause. How many of the fifty to 200,000 uh, evacuated uh, out of uh, southern Israel or, or southern uh, Gaza yesterday, how many of them did that? And they're, they're Hamas uh, members. 
their actual Hamas members hiding among the civilians and getting out of there so that they can indeed stay safe while the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, airstrikes and the ground forces and everything else continue to try to root them out. And meanwhile, they're safe with the rest of the civilians. And when it's all over, then they come back in again. Um, so they're doing so many things to try to minimize civilian and collateral damage when they don't even have to, Rachel. And I think people should know that. That's true. I do feel very uh, comfortable, and I have a lot of confidence in the IDF and their vetting system, um, way more than we do in America. Um, So I I do feel confident in that. Um, Unfortunately, Hamas, yes, was technically elected in 2006, but it was, I'm going to kill you or you're going to vote for me. So it's, it's so sad, the indoctrination and the hate that has been taught. And I just want to drive this point home of the difference between the Jewish people. My, my, I have five nephews in Israel. The oldest is 11. The youngest is one. So my eight-year-old nephew said to his mother, can't we just bomb all the bad guys and just be done with it so daddy could come home? You have to understand, their father has been home four times in one month. And my 11-year-old nephew, and I'm so proud of him, and he is, and this just, again, drives the point home. My 11-year-old nephew said to my 8-year-old nephew that it's not that simple. We, we value life, and they value death. So we can't just, it's not, we, we value life, and we have to protect innocent people. So you're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear that from, from the other side as far as I've seen in the majority. That's what they're being taught in Israel. My my nephews who are Israeli, born in Israel, go to Israeli mm-hmm. school. Well, that's and all. Their father, that's all extremely important information. Um, and and I and I hope you can share that with me. And in fact, we'll, rather than hang up, I'll just uh, uh, we'll put you on hold here, and you can give Marianne uh, a way for me to get that file uh, to get that video sure. because I would love to share sure. that to the rest of the world. I'll send it to Sebastian Gorka and Dennis Prager and everybody else so that everybody else can see it if it isn't already out there because it is important to know. Meantime, prayers for your brother and his safety and your nephews and every other family member that you have over there. Thank you so much for uh, giving us the information. Will you be on the bus tomorrow or tonight? I really would love to. I have small children, so Ah, every every part of me wants to go, but I have um, very important responsibilities here. I get it, and so many do. I I know if we all could just kind of put our lives on hold for for a day, uh, we would pack you know a a few hundred buses. But obviously, it's not possible for everybody, even people like you who have direct family connections over there. But hopefully, there will be a massive showing on the National Mall tomorrow for this rally for Israel, and uh, and the message will be sent to the rest of the world for you and everybody else who have. uh, uh, personal connection. So, Rachel, thanks so much for the info. Don't hang up. We'll put you on hold, okay? Thank you, Bob, for everything right. you're doing for Thank speaking you. truth to the Jewish about the Jewish community in uh, Israel. <clears throat> Thank you very much. It's the only way I know how to do it. You know, Larry Levine said something about that uh, to me last hour, and I just said uh, to him the same thing I'll say now, and that is I just give what I get. Um, you know, I, I, I get information, and I share it. I I get, you know, and I, I have to hunt for it sometimes. I have to read, and I have to study, and I have to talk to the right people. And there's so much propaganda out there. Reading truth from fiction is 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 paramount, of paramount importance. And I do try to do that. I try to, you know, make sure that I can corroborate things that I see and things that I read before I share it. But um, you do need to know that everything that I am giving you is verified. I mean, honestly, I mean, if it's just my opinion, I'll say this is just my opinion. But if it's something I know to be accurate and factual, I will tell you it's accurate and factual. Uh, and the stuff we talked about with care is accurate and factual. 
The stuff we talked about with the Muslim Brotherhood is accurate and factual. The stuff we talked about with uh, what uh, global jihad looks like, what a global caliphate would look like, what Sharia law being imposed on the world would look like, it's accurate and factual. Because so much of it comes directly from Islam itself. It's reality. I hope people know that. The statements made by, you know, like the United Nations, the UN, I mean, the chief of the UN uh, Human Rights, United Nations High Commissioner of Human Rights, Volker Turk, declared just this past Wednesday that what Israel is doing right now is a war crime, that they are using collective punishment of Palestinian civilians. He said that amounts to a war crime, as does the unlawful forcible evacuation of civilians. I ponder that for a moment. It's a war crime to evacuate them, and it's a war crime if they die. So trying to evacuate them so they don't die is just as bad as bombing Hamas and and civilians being killed in the process. Think about that. In other words, Israel, you're damned whether you do or you do not. Because that's what the United Nations thinks about Israel. They, they, they consider Israel to be exactly, and, and, and the bizarre part about it is it was the United Nations that, that authorized or essentially confirmed uh, their land in 1947 and in 1948. But the modern-day uh, United Nations despises Israel. I mean, they have, they have made it so very clear that they stand with the quote-unquote displaced Palestinian people. So Israel, if you, commit, if, if you commit acts that lead to the deaths of Palestinian civilians, that's a war crime. But if you open the doors and let them evac- leave and evacuate those areas so they don't die, that is also a war crime. That is telling you we are going to take Israel out one way or another. Through, through war or through international pressures. It's just beyond the pale, not to mention the language, calling it collective punishment. There is no collective punishment going on. They are trying to root out Hamas and their underground tunnels, which are underneath hospitals and schools for specific reasons, so that if Israel finds the locations and targets them, then what collapses? The schools and the hospitals. And then what do they say? That Israel is striking children in schools and uh, 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 injured and sick people in hospitals. There is no way for Israel to win the propaganda war. So they just, just need to say, the hell with it. Let's win the actual war. And that's exactly what they are doing. The U.N. rights chief. And by the way, I should say this about the United Nations, which ought to get the living hell out of our country. How we still allow them to occupy space in New York is beyond any reasonable, common, sensible position. How can we allow this? But these, these international jackals at the United Nations chose Iran Iran, as the chair of their new human rights council. The Iranians, the ones who actually fund more terror around the globe than any other nation. How is Iran even a member of the United Nations? 
much less to be given a position as a chair of a human rights council. Meanwhile, Israel is being called war criminals for defending itself against Iran-backed proxies of Hamas and Hezbollah. You can't even make this stuff up. The U.N. rights chief stressed that the atrocities perpetrated by the Palestinian armed groups were heinous, brutal, and shocking. They were war crimes, as is continued holding of hostages. But, he said, the current situation is the most dangerous in decades faced by the people in Gaza, in Israel, in the West Bank, but also regional, uh, regionally, and that this collective punishment must end. I mean, it's, wait, what? Yeah. We, we, are, we are talking about an international community that has decided Israel must go one way or the other. Are we going to allow that in the United States? Because we, I remember reading about it. There was once a phrase that was coined shortly after the liberation of the concentration camps during World War II. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, third and final hour in the way now at eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday. It's the 13th morning of the 11th month, year of our Lord, 2023. <clears throat> a lot of uh, moving parts today. A lot of good conversations, too, with Jim Jordan and with Larry Levine. And uh, we just had a call from Rachel, who's got family, her brother and nephews live in Israel. Her brother's in the IDF, and so we're staying on top of that story. But there are a lot of other things to get into as well. I welcome your calls. What questions do you have today? What issue do you want to bring up? We'll take your calls for the rest of this uh, 45 minutes or so that we have together at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You should know that one thing that will not happen when you call this show is you will not be censored for your point of view. In fact, left-wing points of view are encouraged. Some of my favorite calls when I do the national shows for Gorka and Prager and and others are from left-wingers in big blue cities who uh, think they're going to score some sort of point or uh, dunk on me for this or that or the other, and they think they're going to be able to scream at me and then hang up and go away. And I always encourage them to stay on the line and let's discuss and debate this, if you can believe your position, without just you know uh, hitting uh, you know doing a hit and run. And uh, most of the times they can't, but I but I the ones that hang around I really enjoy. So my point to that is, I won't censor you the way your left wing government continues to censor us. What am I talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? 
Jim Jordan and I discussed this just very, very briefly at the end of our conversation. We have to do much, much more on that, and we will. But Jim Jordan was talking about a massive kind of bombshell report that was dropped last week on the censorship, what they are calling the censorship industrial complex. Hundreds of secret reports show how the Department of Homeland Security, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Department, the State Department, and elite academic universities like Stanford all work together to censor Americans leading up to and and right directly into the 2020 presidential elections. They censored true information. They censored jokes. They censored opinions. Didn't matter. They censored it. The federal government, disinformation experts at the universities like Stanford, big tech, such as the former owner of, uh, of uh, Twitter and CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, as well as uh, left-wing Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. They worked through the, what they called the Election Integrity Partnership to monitor and censor Americans' speech. It's still going on for, for a lot of us, by the way. On Facebook, I have 11,600 followers on Facebook. I'll post things, particularly things that have to do with this show, that have to do with, you know, a conservative viewpoint, something that might be pro-Trump, something that might be pro-conservative, something that might call into question, something you hear from the Biden administration. It doesn't matter, really. I have 11,600 uh, followers uh, between two pages, my personal page and my Always Right Radio Facebook page, and I get single-digit views. Single-digit. Your post was viewed by nine people. No, not liked by nine people, not shared by nine people, viewed. Only nine people saw it. I continue to be to be shadow banned and censored because of who I am and what I do. Not who I am, that isn't a, do you know who I am, Flex? That's a, because I'm a conservative. And then you could say the same thing. But here's how it worked. Jim Jordan brought, brought all of this to, to light. EIP, which is, again, the... the, the kind of acronym that they created for the Election Integrity Partnership. EIP stakeholders, including the federal government, would submit misinformation reports. EIP would then analyze the report and find similar content like that across other platforms and say, this is what misinformation looks like. Let's go find it. And then EIP would submit the report to Big Tech, and then they would make a recommendation on how to censor it. So the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Subcommittee last week, Jordan reported on this, obtained non-public documents and information from Stanford only after the threat of contempt. All of the details were filed by the Judiciary Judiciary Committee in the House. Who was targeted? Americans of all political stripes, but almost overwhelmingly conservatives. People like Donald Trump. Before he, uh, before he was stripped of his uh, Twitter account altogether. Senator Tom Tillis, Newt Gingrich, Mike Huckabee, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Sean Hannity. Uh, um, uh, who else do I have on here? Michelle Malcolm, Newsmax, uh, The Rubin Report, Dave Rubin, Paul Sperry, uh, Chanel Rion from One America News, James O'Keefe, and so many others. Uh, Molly Hemingway. And they were legitimate re- reporters and, and, and media members giving information that the left wing 
of the government, including the organizations that I mentioned, DHS, that's Homeland Security, Cybersecurity Infrastructure, the State Department, and left-wing academia. They are so worried about the truth being, you know, being revealed to more and more um, maybe moderate or impartial ears that they had to silence it. So they took it all down. They banned things. They closed things down. I mean, the report is, is, is just, it's crazy. But it's very, very accurate. It's very believable. Following the 2016 presidential election, a sensationalized narrative emerged that foreign disinformation affected the integrity of the election. This is, of course, what they called the Russia hoax, or they called the the Russian uh, 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 collusion thing, but it was, of course, a hoax. These claims, fueled by left-wing election denialism about the legitimacy of President Trump's victory, sparked a new focus on the role of social media platforms in spreading such information. Disinformation think tanks and experts, government task forces, and university centers were formed, all to study and combat the alleged rise in uh, misinformation and disinformation. As the House Committee on the Judiciary and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government have shown previously these efforts to combat so-called foreign influence and misinformation quickly mutated to include domestic, that is, American, speech. Enter the Election Integrity Partnership, a consortium of disinformation academics led by Stanford University that worked directly with Department of Homeland Security and the Global Engagement Center, a multi-agency entity housed within the State Department, to monitor and censor Americans' online speech in advance of the 2020 presidential election. Created in the summer of 2020 at the request of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, The EIP provided a way for the federal government to launder its censorship activities in the hopes of bypassing both the First Amendment and all public scrutiny. As noted, a number of conservative, prominent conservatives were were targeted for um, censorship. Earlier this year, a federal judge ordered the Biden administration to cease contact with big tech companies after a lawsuit was filed by then-Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. That case is headed for the Supreme Court. This is enormous government taking on an outsized role in your ability to communicate, A, your own thoughts, and B, receive thoughts of opinion and even factual information with which the federal government disagrees. I want you to ponder that. Think about the depth of that. And then think about the depth of of what they want to do instead Instead of allowing you to make and and deliver free speech as well as receive it freely as you choose fit, now they want to tell you exactly what you can say. Not only will they limit what you do say, they'll tell you what you must say. This is a different story, but I'm going to tie it. This one came in at the end of last week. The Department of HHS, that's Health and Human Services, has rolled out a new gender pronoun policy. One that uh, one Heritage Foundation expert and former Health and Human Services official says violates employee rights and will result in firings for misgendering people. HHS and the federal government is requiring its employees to speak falsehoods said Roger Severino, Heritage Foundation Vice President for Domestic Policy, former head of civil rights at HHS. He was former a, a former lead a member of the Health and Human Services Department. 
Severino broke the story on X. He wrote that Health and Human Services has imposed a transgender pronoun mandate on its employees who will now be forced to deny biological reality with their own words or face firing. He included a screenshot of an email sent to employees at the department. He said the First Amendment protects federal employees from being required to speak falsehoods or being compelled to adopt a state-sponsored ideology and requiring people to deny their own faith. In other words, the First Amendment says you cannot do that. I can't, they can't make me say, I don't love Jesus, any more than they can make me call that dude over there with a beard and a dress a woman. The First Amendment says that. Health and Human Services said, to hell with the First Amendment. We're making people do it or they're getting fired. All employees, the email reads, should be addressed by the names and pronouns they use to describe themselves. This is part of the push for, quote, gender identity and non-discrimination guidance, end quote, that protects employees' rights and protections related to gender identity. All applicants and employees should be addressed by the names and pronouns they use to describe themselves. Using correct pronouns and names helps foster workplaces free of discrimination and harassment, end quote. Except for the individuals who don't believe in the charades. They get to be harassed because they have to say things that they know are not real. This practice also creates an inclusive work environment, except for those who don't believe in psychological delusions being normalized for the purposes of a left-wing indoctrination society. It's not inclusive for them, is it? Severino describes the policy as Orwellian, and it says that misgendering will get you fired. The video also states that employees can wear clothing and use restrooms based on whatever the hell they feel like. So men who identify as female have the right to get naked in front of female colleagues in the locker rooms at the facilities. And in the bathrooms. If you allow allow a man to get naked in front of a woman in the workplace prior to this, that would be instantly a violation of civil rights law. Sexual harassment laws would, would apply. It's the quintessential hostile work environment, subjecting women to that. Now the policy says the women who may be uncomfortable with that, they're the ones who have to leave. You know what this all smacks of, if I may? It smacks of totalitarianism. And I want to use that to share with you this. This is um, today's episode of Strictly Speaking. It's my my new TV podcast that you can watch on Roku, channel 529. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Today's episode is with Zach Elliott, who is a researcher and a gender science expert. He has founded the Paradox Institute, and we did an interview that aired today, this morning at 6 a.m. It'll air again at 4 p.m. on Roku Channel 529 on TCL TV, the free Roku app, which you can download, and also on the True Blue app. You can find it in a ton of places. But the easiest way is if uh, you have Roku, a Roku device or access to Roku TV. It's very easy, the Roku app, too. But he said this push for full compliance with the identities put forth by this, uh, you know, the trans nation, if you will, um, it, it smacks of totalitarian regimes like the old Soviet Union. He is right. I want you to listen to this clip from this... Uh, a full interview. It's a fascinating interview. And I'd say that not 
to be arrogant. It's not me that's fascinating. The guest is fascinating. But it's a, a tremendous interview. This is a short clip of it. But listen, because tell me that this doesn't sound exactly what like the story I just told you about does. Health and Human Services requiring people to play the pronoun game or get fired from their jobs. Tell me this doesn't sound like that. What's your feeling on the pronoun game? Why is this important? Why is it so important to them, those that are pushing this agenda, and why is it so uh, frowned upon for us to say, no, I'm not going to participate? Yeah, so there's ultimately, it's about affirmation. It's about, you know, going along with the ideology and basically verbally showing your support in alignment with those values. And when you immediately say, I'm not going to participate, regardless of what your beliefs are, if you're not going to participate, then they view that as a sign that you don't support them, you don't affirm them, you um, even hate them, potentially. And they're very, very sensitive to that because they have to have complete alignment for their ideology to go forward. They have to have complete alignment of the delusion. Everybody has to participate in the delusion for it to work. This is exactly how totalitarian regimes have operated throughout history. Uh, whether we look at the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, these regimes utilize uh, people's one uh, outright expression verbally and behaviorally of their uh, you know, support of the ideology, but also just the participation, just you going along with it. Maybe you don't even say anything. Maybe you're just there with everybody else, right? And they rely on that. They rely on you being silent, on you participating. And that's really important. That's why the pronoun game is so, so critical for them. And it's so important to them. They want to keep that ideology going. Yeah, they do. Zach Elliott is exactly right. By the way, that clip, a very short two-minute clip of the uh, hour and 17-minute-long interview, um, you probably I posted it on my socials, but you probably can't find it because I continue to be shadow banned. Like I said, 11,600 people on Facebook, uh, and uh, it's been viewed like nine times. <laughs> Nobody can find it because they continue to block it. They won't send it out and push it to anybody else. So if you want to watch it, uh, you have to hunt for it on social media or, like I said, to watch the full interview. It's on Roku Channel 529. It airs again today at 4 o'clock. It's also on TCL TV, the Roku Channel app, the True Blue app, and more. Okay. Um, tell you what we're going to do. It's, t- it's 1124. Okay, TJ in Cleveland, you're up on AM 1420. The answer. Fire away, TJ. Hello, Bob. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about like this Ukrainian war and the mantra that comes out of the left is that we have to do everything we can to preserve democracy in Europe. Yet the Ukraine is hardly a model democracy. Now, Israel is a model democracy. And I don't hear anybody out of the left saying, hey, we have to do everything we can to preserve democracy in the Mideast. It just shows what hypocrites they are. And one thing I noticed Saturday, just another thing, I got a lot of lefties in my neighborhood, and they love flying flags on their porch. They fly Ukrainian flags, they fly uh, BLM flags, they fly uh, rainbow flags. But you know what? Not a single one of them flew on Veterans Day Saturday, an American flag. Yeah, I bet I know. Yeah, and that just shows what these people are all about. They don't care about democracy. They don't care about veterans. All they care about is their liberal agenda. It's a sad thing to see, isn't it? Yes, it is. But I expected it. 
So I wasn't you know, disappointed. You, you know, the, 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 the rough part about it for me is that those who are flying those other flags, those goofy things, you know, you guys, when I say you, I mean veterans, you know, you went to war and, and wars and put your lives online to defend their right to do that stupid crap. And, and you know, you're not telling them they can't do that stupid crap because, you, you, you know, you, you bled for it. But you'd think that they would also, in addition to celebrating their stupid crap, that they would also say thank you to you by saying, yeah, the American flag kind of makes all of this possible. You would think that they would at least have that kind of decency, uh, but they don't. Well, not, not only that, they actually detest us. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty obvious. They detest yeah. the military. Uh, they'll use them when they have to. And, and the problem is they don't have a country. They don't have a religion. They don't have a patriotism. All they have is their liberal politics, and that's the only thing that matters to them. Yeah, and you know, you're, you're 100% right. You're 100% right, my friend. Uh, and I'm sorry to see it, but it's uh, it's a reality. TJ, thank you. God bless you. I didn't talk to you on Friday, I don't think. So uh, so belated happy Veterans Day to you. To you. Thank well, you for your service. Thank you. Appreciate that. You got it, bud. Thank you. Uh, Lee in Cleveland is next. Hi, Lee. Go ahead. Oh, thank you for taking my call. My I just finished reading the book, Killing England. And it's by Bill O'Reilly, and I don't agree with the man very on everything, but I think he's good on history, and I think every American should read that book. Just that particular uh, one? Why, why, why did that one stand well, out? Because like we, we've had him on to I... talk about his, his books all the time. Every time he has a new killing book, we bring him on and we talk about it. So why Killing uh-huh. England? Why is that one so big for you? You would be surprised how many people that resided here in the United States was for England. And I also read the book on Killing Reagan, and that was another very good book. That's what prompted me to get the one on Killing England. But a lot of people in this country were not for us becoming an independent nation. And what George Washington went through was just horrendous. Well, I have not read that particular Bill O'Reilly book, but I do know the things you're speaking of, and I do know the trials and travails of George Washington, and I also know the number of colonials who came here and uh, did not want their own nation and did not actively support uh, the revolution and uh, and the building of, of this nation. Uh, they supported England, and it's a sad thing to say, uh, but, but that is the reality of it. So... Um, uh, maybe, and thank you for the call, Lee. I appreciate that very much. Maybe there's uh, some instruction there that we can follow. Maybe that would be something that is instructive because there are a whole lot of people here that don't necessarily want the United States to have their own nation today, just like some of those he, she just mentioned. There are a lot of people who don't want the United States to exist as its own sovereign nation today, just like those colonials did not who still uh, sided with the, uh, with the, uh, the British crown. They want globalism. They want open borders. They want anybody to have access to anything and everything we have, no matter what damage it may do to those of us who are already here. That's a reality of it. So maybe there's something instructive to that. Lee, thanks for that call. We'll take a time. Easily the largest collection of Biden supporters you will find anywhere in the on the continent. Why did I say it that way? Because they're not here in the United States. 
That is a massive throng, thousands strong of a caravan waiting in Mexico, in Huitzla, Mexico. This was from November 8th. They are almost all males, all young, military-age-looking males. And they are there by the thousands. And they're on their way into the United States, and they are thanking the man who made it possible. Played that for uh, Jim Jordan in the first hour of the broadcast, and I suggested this should be the only campaign commercial the Republican nominee, whether it's Trump or anyone else, it should be the only campaign commercial they need. Play this. Put it on the screen, who it is and where it is, and let it play. Foreign nationals invading the United States love Joe Biden. Americans losing resources and paying exorbitant amounts of money through inflation, higher taxes, higher mortgage rates, etc. We get nothing. But these, these individuals love Joe Biden. That is the only thing anybody needs to know as we get into uh, 2024. Uh, Navy man Norm is in Strongsville. Navy man, sir, good morning. Good morning, Bob. I just want to bring some good news for a change. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you almost made me blow my coffee across the kitchen table when I heard those uh, chants from the invaders, and they are invaders. Yes, they are. Uh, we had a wonderful Veterans Day here in Strongsville. Uh, I live on Deerfield Lake, and we have a homeowners association. And last year, two women took it upon themselves to have their children put together Thank you, veteran cards. And there was a little $10 gift card in each one for us, which I was really, really uh, appreciative of. And I talked to them uh, after this. So this year we put together a breakfast brunch at our uh, clubhouse. We had coffee, cookies, donuts, pizza, sandwiches, and cake, and all paid for through the Homeowners Association. There's 25 veterans in our in our uh, association, in our development, and quite a few of them showed up. <clears throat> the two ladies, Jillian and Carly are their names. I give them a shout-out. They had their children come up, recite a poem about veterans and what it means uh, to them, the children. We had uh, a little young man named Miles at a keyboard playing God Bless America, we had another <clears throat> 10-year-old boy stand up and talk about how Veterans Day came about because of Armistice Day. And let me tell you, there wasn't a dry eye in the place, Bob. These veterans stood there, and we just applauded these kids and these two ladies for what they did. Out of the goodness of their hearts, they took the time. But this is what happens when you have two women that raise their children right, to raise their children to believe in God, country and family, and to show appreciation, you know, to people who served our country. So just wanted to get that out. There are some good things going on today.
Well, I love it. I love hearing it, and I'm so glad to know that because we do. We need that occasionally, don't we, from time to time to keep our spirits up because so much of what is going on here, particularly with our young people, are negative. So to hear some of them actually being interested in showing respect for the veterans, and I know, I believe everything you just said about the dry eyes or no dry eyes because I know how much it means to them. Uh, so thank you for sharing that, uh, the story, Navy Man Norm. God bless you, and uh, uh, and as always, thank you for your service, my friend. And our street had all American flags on our street, which is a cul-de-sac. <clears throat> there were no other flags, just American flags. Beautiful to hear. That, that makes me feel a little bit better after some of the stuff we just heard from TJ. So that's great news. Thank you, Norm. God bless you, sir. All right, let's go to Yanina uh, in uh, University Heights. Hi, Yanina. Go right ahead. Yes, good morning. Bob, bless you for everything that you do for the country and for Israel. Uh, I just can't believe my daughter goes to different rallies, uh, you know, pro-Israel, everything. I cannot believe she sent me a picture. It was in the WhatsApp. It was a cemetery. The cemetery, Jewish cemetery in Cleveland, in a grave, with Nazi sign. Wherever they had the name of the people in cemetery, they were a swastika. Can you believe it? They had a swastika. And Jewish cemetery, cemetery supposed to have security. I do not know how did they get there. What kind of protection? And this is unbelievable to have a swastika on a Jewish cemetery. Well, it's sad to say it's not unbelievable. This is the kind of anti-Semitism that is being fostered and fomented right now in this country. It's it's infuriating, but it's not unbelievable. It's very believable. Uh, What's unbelievable is that, you know, while, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the program, anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic attacks are up 388% year over year because of what's going on, we still have... Uh, massive numbers of pro-Palestinian rallies which uh, in which they chant uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, indicating their desire to wipe out all of Israel and all Jews. And that, to me, is what's unbelievable. Okay. I'm sorry for interrupting. Quick phrase, two quick phrase. By the way, by the, by the way, Prescott Bush, you know who the Prescott Bush who was helping Hitler to raise to the power? It's yes. a Bush family, Prescott Bush. I, I know, I know, I know, I know who you're talking about. Yes. What was your other point? Another point is I went to Costco, and there was a book, a wonderful mm-hmm. book. I already bought it. They were going back and forth. They were hiding this book back and forth by Mark Levine. Great book. The Democratic Party hates America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.